Welcome to the Just Go Grind podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing at Vitalize Venture Capital. On today's episode, we have Serene Norali, co-founder of Sleuth, a childhood health recommendation engine powered by crowdsource insights and machine learning. Sleuth is backed by New Lab and Antler. Let's dive into the show. Serene, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yes. And with Sleuth, I want to know at the beginning, how did this start in the first place? It started like many startups do, which is personal experience. Um, I have two kids, two girls. My younger one started missing some of her developmental milestones. I went to the doctor. The doctor said, you know what? Don't worry about it. She's probably fine. Um, and then we went to go see family. And, you know, people who had been parents longer than I have were like, that's unusual. Like that didn't happen with my kid or that's unusual. That didn't happen with my kid. And I was like, it triggered me to actually listen to my intuition and very long story short, she did end up needing specialists. Um, I appealed to my pediatrician and said, listen, like we need to do something about this. And um, when we started looking into the problem of what I was going through, I realized thousands of parents deal with what I am dealing with. Like they're not getting answers when they need it. They're anxious. Um, they need more information and they turn to other parents and there's power and real expertise in other parents. Okay. With that, I have to take a step back. A lot of people have ideas or problems or challenges, and then they find something on Google and then, okay, they move on with their lives, but you decided to start a company with it. Why start a company? <laughs> Why start a company? I'm curious. Cause I hate myself. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> cause it's hard. It's really hard. It is really hard. I mean, I will never, I will never deny that. Um, I think that people want to make meaning out of their pain. I think it's kind of a universal truth. And when I met my co-founder, Alex, and he started seeing, he was about to become a parent. So it was very meaningful to him. What I was saying about how difficult it was to get good data on children's health and good guidance about what to do next. And we started talking to all these parents and everyone talked to us. So many people wanted to talk to us. And then that translated to, so many parents wanted to share their stories on our platform. Um, and when you see that, like, people want to help people, you kind of go with it. I didn't actually really intend to start a VC back startup. I had worked for a couple. So I knew that it's hard. It's really, really, really hard. Like, yes, there's like a layer of glamour. But underneath that layer of glamour is just really a lot of blood, sweat and tears. Um, but I think what compelled me was that there was a huge need and we could do something about it. One of the things I'm curious about too, even with going the venture-backed route, and I talk with a lot of founders through Vitalize Venture Capital, and yeah. a lot of companies are not VC-backable. A lot of companies would be phenomenal lifestyle businesses. You don't need to raise venture. You could have done debt or other ways of financing it potentially, and everyone's life situation is different. For you, did you always kind of see it as a VC-backable company? You wanted to go that route? I'm just curious on your mindset around that too. Yeah, we had to. Um, I mean, the way that we ours were a SaaS company. We did need we need an infusion of capital in order to grow a product that then has like a lot of efficiencies once it's built and tweaked. Um, there are other children's health information platforms that don't need to be venture backed and I think have worked really well. We were not in that category. With that too then, how did you go about that in terms of who you want to bring on board? There's angel investors, there's VCs, there's a lot of different ways to go about this. For you, Serene, how did you go about it? I'm curious. So my co-founder and I met at a startup generator program called Antler. Um, and, you know, 
you know how like things in life just happen when you're not really planning for them to happen? That was very much my participation in Antler. It was, I had left my job in 2017. I was about to go back to work. I left in 2017 to take care of my daughter and set up her care. I was ready to go back. And then I was, I had a couple of offers in hand. And then I saw this thing at Antler and I was like, you know what? It's two months, um, three months. It's really low risk because I already wasn't salaried. Um, so taking an additional three months was not a big deal. Um, and it ended up being that people really believe in this idea. I was one of the very few parents, very few kind of mothers that were out in a startup tech ecosystem where people tended to be younger, tended to be male, and tended not to be parents. And when people started believing in this idea, it was like, oh, okay. Okay. Like, I guess I, you know, I see something that other people are starting to believe as well. And so we got money from Antler and New Lab, and we were the first team to get, um, I think we were only two teams were funded by both entities. We were one of two. And our, um, we had a unanimous decision by the investment panel. And so by that point that like you get that confidence, you start saying, okay, there really are legs here. Obviously, you know, you start, there's excitement. And in order to grow the product, you have to keep raising. We've found that there are people who just get it and they are not the people that I thought, truly. The people who are, who are interested in backing us, I couldn't have predicted it. Wait, tell me more about that. Like, I want to hear more about that. I mean, most of our, it's a lot of older white gentlemen who really believe in what we're doing. Um, I would not have ever guessed that, actually. (laughs) Um, And it's interesting. And I think what, what I really love about it is that we've had conversations with angels who are passionate fathers and said, you know what, I 100% understand what you're going through. Like my son is 20 something years old and the first several years of his life, we went through this and navigating this and navigating. I'm like, that means so much to me that it is actually different than what I thought. Um, and then of course we get the people that I thought would be more aligned to parent tech as well. Okay, one thing with this I have to ask about. So anything that's like parents, children, and then I'm gonna also put this in the same character, don't judge me, like pets, people go crazy huh? about, they'll do anything for, right? So mm-hmm. with that, how do you even begin to price business model around this? Yeah. Just take me through that side of thing. Yeah, that is a great question. I don't know much about pets, but what I can say is risky about what we're doing in a parent tech is that a lot of people assume that there's just too much noise in parent in parenting and technology. Um, what we say is that when it comes to children's health and development and data, there's not a lot on. Um, and so the pricing strategy is, you know, there's a lot of premium, like free content. You can go to Facebook groups, you can go to something like Baby Center. But what we do is say, we know a certain amount of parents are going to pay a monthly price of like $10 a month to get personalized data and step-by-step guidance for their children. Um, And we know that that's one possible business model and the pricing we're pretty comfortable because that's where the market kind of is, right? You think about like Canva, people pay $13, like, you know, that range is very comfortable for people. Um, but we also have the benefit of creating a crowdsourced open data set on children's health built by parents. Once you have that, you have many, many, many more opportunities. And we've already seen very strong signals for those opportunities. So we kind of have 
foresee flexibility on the business model, but we're doubling down on this B2C side first. Yeah, that's always why I think about, because we invest in B2B software um, in future of work at Vitalize, and we're always thinking about, obviously it has a B2B component, but there are mm -hmm. some companies that are B2C that you can see where they can leverage that in a B2B way. Like even one company I bring up a lot is, is Toucan. It's a browser extension, help you learn language while you're surfing the web. And they're definitely B2C right now, but on the back end, it's like they can help you learn anything. So they can help upscale, rescale. You can see a B2B model with other ones. It's like seeing the business model mm -hmm. is a huge part of what the company is going to be for you then too. So with that, so obviously you're starting B2C on that. You have this data that you're developing. As you go about this, what has helped you grow from the early days to you know where you are now? I'm curious on the growth side. I think some of it is personal brand. Um, I am getting more and more comfortable sharing my own story. And, and my story is my story. It's not my daughter's story. It's what do I go through as a caregiver? What do I know? How do I advocate? What are my battles? Um, I think, you know, this business relies on trust. And I think people knowing that the team behind it are both parents and that they can understand what it feels like to have the anxiety of not having answers for a child, whether your child is considered normal or atypical, whatever means a lot, right? Because what we're asking for is your data. <laughs> so yeah. that's, it's, it's really important. Um, the other way is that we started actually focusing kind of on special needs and kids with um, medical needs. And so that started getting us more stories. People started understanding, like, I want to share my story. The third way is that not a lot of people are buying words on children's health. <laughs> you know, like there's, Fair. right, there's some things that people will buy, you know, but there's just a lot of stuff that is kind of a white space for us. And um, our team is really good at leveraging that. And we've proven like ridiculous marketing efficiency. So um, and that kind of extends out to a lot of different things. I do think kids' health is getting more popular. People have more mind share towards it, but it's still new. It's kind of what like femtech was three or four years ago. Yeah, which has definitely grown a lot. And I've interviewed a number of founders within that as well now at this point in time. And with that, you mentioned we, obviously, with the team side of things. Mm -hmm. How has that been building your team? And I talk about this a lot with like how the war for talent is crazy. Uh, take me through that side of things as you start this with an idea, progressed it, obviously getting more paid customers, but building the team behind it. How's that gone for you? Yeah. I mean, between Alex and I, we covered two very different parts of the business. So that gives us a lot of efficiency. Um, we have an engineering team that we work with that actually has a deep roster of talent from um, design engineering to some of the data side. And then we have worked mostly with freelancers after that. Uh, we're currently fundraising. After this fundraise, we will be bringing on full-time talent. Um, I think the question about how do you recruit is always interesting. <laughs> I, I think people are compelled towards values and founders. Um, and both Alex and I have recruited technical teams before and like have an ecosystem in New York that we're hoping to lean on a little once we um, are ready for that full-time hire. Well, even with the part-time hires, I know we've looked at like, I think we were six or so part-time hires at Vitalize because we're trying to use that model. I think it's better in some ways, challenging in other ways. For you, like, where did you go in terms of finding part-time help? What was maybe the most useful areas, locations, or, you know, ways to go about that? Yeah, it's a good question. So some of them were inbound. Um, people are saying like, listen, I really believe in what you're doing. Let me help you. 
The other way was Upwork. Um, Alex, for example, is really good. We needed to do some um, data cleaning and data transcription. And um, Alex, just it's like, you just rely on what you've done before, you know? Um, and we found some great people who were really, really efficient. And then, and honestly, they ended up being underpriced. So we ended up paying them more because they were underpriced. I think it's this, they were moms who felt less, you know, it's like as a mom who had to leave their job in 2017, I'm very sensitive to this. And so yeah. as long as you start cultivating a relationship with someone that does work well and they're treated fairly, um, I think you start creating a, a bench of people that you can call on. But the freelancer sites have been good for us. Yeah, I think there's definitely, there's so many different ones now. And even just writing a newsletter for a little bit of sourcing and how to find different talent and how people go about it. There's so many different ways. I know we yeah. invest in a company called The Mom Project. I don't know if you've heard of them, but yeah. they are helping, yeah, helping moms in a lot of ways get uh, different careers. And so there's always different marketplaces. And now we're seeing more of these things pop up. Um, Palette is another company that just popped up relatively recently. Um, and they, they have a kind of an interesting, different way of, finding jobs. And so there's so many platforms we're seeing now with that to hire talent because whether it be part-time, whether it be full-time, like you need to figure out how to how to do yeah. that to grow and scale your company, which is so challenging. With that too, you mentioned the fundraise coming up. As you're looking at building this this team even, even more, you mentioned some of the things on the engineering side, but the product, building out the product as well, like how has that side of things gone? How has this evolved in terms of the product itself uh, yeah. as time has gone on? That's a really good question. Um, you know, I think that we, some people will say you're trying to boil the ocean. Um, one of the things that we stand by is that we know our customer really well. And so just as an example of why our product covers a lot of health areas is because one of the things that I think a lot of people don't consider is that conditions have relationships to each other, right? So um, if your child has a speech delay, your child maybe has a food aversion or whatever, right? There's relationships you need, is that, and that being diagnosis specific is not the reality of how a parent lives. So my daughter has a speech delay and she has a swallowing issue. Like I'm not, I'm interested in the relationship between these two and the treatments that go, um, that work with her in the most efficient way. And so that's why our product can intake information across multiple diagnoses, multiple timelines, um, and over the course of several years. And so we looked at that, we did that, but now we're at a point where we have to say, okay, we can do it. And we're focusing on four areas of children's health that we know parents are looking at the most, partly related to COVID, partly related to actually being able to then create the next part of it, which is displaying that information in a compelling way. Um, and when we first started, we collected information, but then when we started doing the data visualizations of that information, things got really exciting because we hadn't been able to previously, you know, if you go on a Facebook group and parents share information, um, because Facebook is very popular for parents to share information about their kids' health, um, you can't see a profile of that parent's child. You can't see it displayed in a way for you to really understand if that child is like your child. Yeah. enough for you to take advice from that parent. Um, so we think a lot about the display of the information, uh, the choice to be anonymous and what that means, how we um, actually position it with parents about what they can do with it. And so a lot of those same principles are there. I, we, I do think it's going to change a lot after this fundraise. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned that and I can't help but think of other companies. And if you're on Twitter at all, like 
you know, VCs and stuff, obviously giving advice from their experience or other founders giving advice. But to the exact point you mentioned before, it's like, does that apply to me and my situation? Like they have their, their lens or their context from 10 years ago, starting a company, running a company, things change a lot really quickly. And so yeah. there's always that lens of like, <laughs> the advice you get, who is the person, what was their situation? How's that fit into what you're doing? With that too, diving a little bit deeper, what is that experience like? I'm a parent, wants to use Sleuth the first time. Like walk me through what that even looks like for me using that. Yeah. So if you are a parent who is concerned about their kid, like speaking like you would go to our search bar and say speech delay. And what you would get is these really data heavy, rich profiles from parents talking about their children, right? It'd be free text about when they first saw the symptoms, what they did and what they recommend. And then it'd be structured data after that and a timeline of when they first saw the speech delay, what kind of interventions they had and whether or not it was useful. You could also tab over and start seeing recommended treatments and specialists from parents. Um, and it's just a different way to display that information, right? So like one thing that is surprising is that occupational therapy is useful for kids with speech delays. And so you'll see people rate, rate you know, occupational therapy and if they would recommend it or not. And then something that I really love is parents can start taking assessments to see if their child has a speech delay. So there are ways that pediatricians can actually help parents and give them an assessment and say, okay, you told me you're worried about this, but here's actually, you know, 25 questions about your child that you uniquely answer as the caregiver. And we can see based on those answers, if something else should be done. Those parent assessments are actually really hard to get. Like I went, every time I go to my pediatrician, I see them on a folder in the back. Um, and parents don't know to ask for it. And so we've actually brought them to our website and parents can start engaging and actually seeing how other people answered those questions anonymously. So there's a, there's a, you know, a lot of different kind of browsing and providing information to get answers that you can already do in our MVP. With that too. So one of the things that comes to mind right away, is just as a parent that you're looking through this, you're seeing all these different answers. Like how is that filter to not give like alternative opinions and like yeah. that, like, how does that work for you? I'm curious. Yeah, it's a really good question. Well, we take the stance that we're pro-science. It sounds kind of, you know, that's really important. Um, and so on the back end, what we do is you can start seeing which profiles should not be surfaced, right? If someone says, drink Windex, don't take a vaccine, like that will get filtered down, right? And so there's all these ways to start seeing how data interacts with each other, whether it's kind of weaker data, or also if parents start upvoting certain profiles, some it's often a sign of credibility. And so you can start surfacing that even higher. The other way that you do it is you ask for structured data, you know, and we do that. When did you see the symptoms? Um, were they severe or like, you know, what's the gradation of those symptoms? What's the timeline? And so there's a lot less room for error when you're asking such structured questions. Yeah. No, that's such, gotta be such a challenge. Cause I mean, that's the thing you see, you see like both sides or you yeah. see, always see alternatives and like really anything in terms of advice. It's like, how do you sift through, how do you prioritize the right things for you, especially yeah. when it comes to your children? It's like, that's a, a pretty important thing to figure out, yeah. Yeah. which, which, yeah, I'm always curious to how people go about that. And, and for you too. So you mentioned, you know, fundraise coming up essentially as well. So like, what is the next step, the next phase for Sleuth? Like, what are you trying to do next in the next, you know, six to 12 months, let's say? The next six to 12 months is us building out that database with um, kind of depth and breadth. 
and putting a priced product into market. Yeah, then I'm just then even bigger. I'll step it back a little bit farther then. Yeah. The big vision, what does that look like? Oh, the big vision is to create the largest crowdsourced database on children's health. I expect that we will be able to use that data to find more diagnoses, um, to inform clinical trials, to help communities in the rare genetics communities. I mean, one of the things that I think is really interesting is we were talking to the Cytomegalovirus Foundation and CMV is a condition that a child can get when someone kisses them on the face, because the virus is an active virus, wow. which is funny because like after that, all my friends who are pregnant, I was like, don't let anyone kiss don't your child. touch my child. <laughs> don't, yeah. <laughs> When we talk to them, one of the biggest problems that they have is that there are children who are impacted by CMV, which is the second leading cause of hearing loss in children and can cause severe disabilities, is that after, I think it's six months, the virus is inactive, so you can't test for CMV. So you, a child might be 12, have these disabilities, and you may not know why this child has a disability because you can't test for CMV. Right. And so there's a lot of nuance in children's health that I think we don't appreciate that parents often don't have answers. And when you start building a database based on caregivers, you can start providing answers in a really meaningful way. Coming back to you now, I'm curious, you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, how hard it is to build a company, obviously, in the beginning of this. What keeps you on track, you know, level headed, able to think clearly, like, what are some of the things you do in terms of taking care of yourself as well? Um, I'm not the best at it. I, you know, I go to therapy. I have a therapist. Helpful. That is immensely helpful. Um, and it's this idea of like being able to think through the way you think with someone. You don't get that luxury, right? And you kind of need a third person to help you remember things that you were passionate about if you're in a moment of frustration or stress. So that's been pretty critical. Um, and I live in New York City and I really like taking walks. So anytime that I feel like I need to think through, it's like the whole, like, it's like the shower thing. Like you're taking a shower and you think through things. Like for me, walking through New York City is like the other greatest form of therapy and thinking. And so I don't have time for much more. Wait, you're, you're saying that with two young kids and running a startup, you don't have time for much more? Yeah. That's shocking to me. <laughs> Absolutely shocking. I want to go back to the therapy thing. What made you, I, was there a certain time period where you were like, Okay, now's the time. Like, what made you do a jump? Because I also talked to a lot of founders who they're either thinking about getting therapy or even eventually the executive coach that comes down the line potentially. But what for you was like timing or made you take the jump? Like, I'm just curious anything. I was struggling with the passing of my dad. Um, I think it might have been a year after. And I was just trying to figure out how do I get through this? And so I've been working with the same therapist since then. And it's funny because like when we first started Sleuth, I'm very open about the fact that I go to therapy. I'm very open about most things because I think this shit's hard. Like yeah. it's, 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 it's not hard. It's harder than hard, you know, like, and so when you are a founder and like someone from your cohort just raised $8 million and you're like, why are people telling me I should change the name of my company? Like, that's not what I'm talking to you about. Like NLP, you know, you just have to work on your mind game. I, I truly believe that you can differentiate yourself just by the health of your brain. Like I, I will be, my daughter was hospitalized for two and a half months. I spent every single night in the hospital with her from August 26th until October 31st. It is a badge of honor that I have not lost my mind because what I saw, what I went through, 
what she went through, would it be enough trauma to last a lifetime? And I credit, I credit my therapist. Um, And when we were starting Sleuth, a VC actually asked me, they're like, um, you know, some found, we're thinking about getting, offering founders in our portfolio company therapy. What do you think? Totally do it. (laughs) (laughs) Cause you want, you want your founders in your port code to be healthy. Yeah. I think it was Alpha Bridge or some, there's some VC that has like that as part of their kind of value add. As an investor, they offer therapy and mental health kind of services. And also a member thinking it was a man from Incredible Health. And she mentioned like managing your own psychology as a founder is absolutely everything. Like if you can't manage your own psychology as a founder, you're you're never going to be able to make it because you're going Mm -hmm. through so many like metamorphoses as every stage of your company go from the early stage of the challenges that brings up, even hiring your first few employees, raising venture capital, scaling, just different problems constantly. And you have to be able to adjust to that. And if you can't manage your own psychology, like it's going to be a, even more of a nightmare yeah. than it already potentially is. So yeah. I always thought of that whenever I talked to anyone. It's like she mentioned that and she's been very successful. I think she's raised from like Andreessen Horowitz and like the best VCs and her, her company is incredible. incredible health. Awesome. It's incredible. But it's like you have to manage your own psychology. And I know we're uh, mm-hmm. almost out of time here. So I want to give people a chance to know where's the best place to find more about your company and talk with you or connect with you if they'd like to as well. Yeah, please find us um, on Instagram. I also post, it's at Hello Sleuth, and my Instagram is just my full name. And I've started to post more about what I'm going through as a parent and an advocate. And so um, I love feedback on my story. It's been kind of fun. So please reach out. I will be sure to link that up in the show notes as well, JessicaGrind.com. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today, Serene. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.